Thanksgiving. Let me just remind us of some things we're thankful for. We're thankful that we get to come and decorate our church over Thanksgiving weekend and make it look different and even more beautiful than it normally is. Thanksgiving, last year, around this time, as the weather turned off cold, you were sitting out there going, it's kind of cold in here because our heaters weren't working very well. And guess what? This year, they're working so good, I'm taking this off. I'll take this off for two reasons. One, because it's nice and warm up here. But the other reason is this shirt. Somebody in this room is wearing this shirt, same as me. And I'm not saying that he will, but if you identify who's wearing this shirt before you leave today, maybe he'll give you a dollar. Probably not. I didn't pass out $5 bills this morning either, but maybe he'll give you a dollar. But you got to find the guy wearing the same shirt as I am. He makes it look better than I do. His shirt's cut differently. It's cut flat down the front. Mine's got a little turkey bulge in it. So that's how you'll know that it's different. Okay. How was your Thanksgiving? Did you have a nice time on Thanksgiving? If, if you had a nice time, say amen. amen. You know, Thanksgiving is just so much fun. It's my favorite meal of the year. It's a great time of the year. We share our blessings. We had so many people come through the weekend before Thanksgiving needing blessings of food and things like that. And so many churches were out through the week last week giving out blessings of food. And we celebrate how the Lord has blessed us at Thanksgiving. I hope you took time around your table to not just dig in and eat, but to say thank you to God. I also know that Thanksgiving is maybe a hard time for some folks, a little more difficult for some folks, maybe because they don't have what they had a year ago. Or maybe they don't have who they had a year ago. Sometimes we suffer loss of a loved one during the year, and then we have Thanksgiving. And what do you do when you notice that empty chair around your table? Or maybe you just are suffering from a broken relationship, somebody that you were close to before, but for right now, things are just kind of tense. Things are just kind of not easy. Thanksgiving brings different emotions to it, but we still need to give thanks. And that's what we're talking about. It's a time of thanksgiving, but it's always a gift of time that God gives us. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So let's pray and let's get started. Father God, thank you so much for the way that you love us. You are a good and gracious and wonderful God. We are thankful to you, first of all, for our salvation through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we are thankful for your spirit that dwells within us each and every day. We are thankful for your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us, and all we have to do is call on you. We are so thankful, God, for who you are, and we want to bring you worship and praise this morning. Hear our hearts, not just our words today, and may they come up before you like a fragrant sacrifice, pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're talking about Thanksgiving. And the, the funny thing is, and in the, 
Bible study down here, I know they were reading in some of the older Old Testament, some of the first books. In the early books of the Old Testament, there is a kind of an amazing lack of thanksgiving. The vocabulary words in Hebrew are yada and toda. And they usually use those interchangeably to mean praise, which conveys the idea of giving thanks. And I thought of yada, 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 yada. And I thought that's sometimes how we're, our attitude towards thanks is it's just yada, yada, yada. Doesn't make sense to us. But if you slow down, yada, it is being thankful. And so that's, that's good for us to notice that. But in the first few books of the Bible, there's not a lot of thanksgiving that goes on. Adam and Eve didn't thank God for his creation, as far as we know from Scripture. Abel's gift, the fat portions of the firstborn of his flock, Cain's gift, some fruit from the field, doesn't express much thankfulness to God. The families of Isaac and Jacob contended over God's blessing rather than thanking him for it. The ingratitude of the people seems to have reached its a new height when they were there in the wilderness and he is delivering food to them. He's delivering, I mean, it literally falls out of heaven every day and water from the rock, all of this. And what do they do? They just grumble. You read those stories and they don't break into amazing praise and thanksgiving. They just say, okay, thank you, God. We'll take it. We'll eat it. We'll you know, go on. Now, later in the Bible, there is a lot more thanksgiving emphasized through the rest of the Old Testament. A lot of the rituals and festivals and things like that are thanking God for His provision. Some of the verses that we read in the Old Testament, Psalms is just filled with thanksgiving. But Psalms 107.1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 7, 17, I will give thanks to the Lord according to His righteousness, and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. 1 Thessalonians, I like this one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So many verses in the rest of the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament expressing thanksgiving to God. That this ought to not just be something we do in particular on a day of the year, but all year long. And I know you're thankful. You're a thankful people. You're thankful for your families. You're thankful for your friends. You're thankful for your church family. You're thankful for what God has provided for you. And I'm not saying that you lack showing thankfulness, but we can show thankfulness even more, can't we? We can tell people even more, thank you. My, my guy sitting over here, Jeff Bohannon, comes in today, and I know he works third shift, and to be here in the mornings is hard but he shows up, and I'm like, dude, you make my day when you show up at my church. Thank you. Because 
just seeing the family around us. Sharon comes walking in like she just owns the joint, you know, and she's just been touched and healed. And Norma's back there with her neck brace on. Thank you for that. But she's back there with us today. And it's so good to see people that we've been missing. And I'm thankful that they're back with us. Thanksgiving just needs to flow. But true thanksgiving really takes a little time and effort. And there's a couple of passages of Scripture that illustrate this. And by the way, I'm not going to be long today. He says that up front. But I'm not going to be long today so you can get home to your Thanksgiving leftovers or your pizza, whatever. But in Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11 through 19, now when he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw what had been, that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten men cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you whole. They only asked for mercy. When they saw Jesus far away, they only said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They didn't directly ask to be healed, but I have a feeling that these ten had heard of Jesus of Nazareth, had heard of his healing miracles by this point. I can see one of the guys looking at the other guys. Let's take a shot. Let's try to get his attention and just see what happens. And he heals them. And it's amazing they didn't even ask particularly to be healed, just that he would have mercy on them. But the mercy that he showed them was the healing that he gave to them. Most people are only interested in Jesus for his miracles. I mean, look how many people got fed and then started not coming back again. Look at all the people that we see that are interested in what Jesus can do for them, not what they necessarily can do for Jesus. And if you go by this passage, 90% of people that interact with Jesus are not even thankful for what he does for them. But this one came back. He told the group, go show yourself to the priest. Because according to the Old Testament law, it was the priest who could restore community. If a Hebrew came down with leprosy, he was shunned. He was banned. He could not stay in the community with his family, with his friends. He could not be in town. They had to be away from everybody else. They had to go around shouting things like, unclean, unclean. Well, who wants to be around that? They had no community except the community of the wounded. 
the priest would say after examination, you're good. Welcome home. Welcome back to the community. But the one guy who came back was a Samaritan. He wasn't even Jewish. I mean, why does he even have to go to the priest? His community is not going to be with the rest of the Jews anyway. We don't know what the practice of the Samaritans were about leprosy, but I'm sure they were shunned in the leprous, you know, idea anyway by other Samaritans. But he didn't have to go to the Jewish priest. But he came to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he came back and he said, thank you. The only one, a foreigner, came back. Your faith has made you well, Jesus said. Remember that phrase. Your faith has made you well. Luke 7, 44 through 50 is the second passage I wanted to highlight. This is when the woman comes where Jesus is in uh, Simon the Pharisee's home for dinner, and the woman comes in and works her way around. And the, the way that they would sit at the table in those days, they didn't have chairs, they would recline, they would lean over, they would lie down to one side. And so to do that, they would you know lay down and their feet would be behind them. And the way the table was normally set up in a home, it was out from the wall, far enough for someone to be reclined at the table, but also the servants to walk back and forth behind them so that they could, you know, bring things to the table and take care of stuff. And so this woman comes in to this Pharisee's house and works her way around behind Jesus and where his feet are sticking out behind him. And this is what happens she begins to weep. And her tears land on the feet of Jesus in front of her. And she dries them with her hair and she anoints them with oil. And this is going on. And Simon, the Pharisee, is like, oh, wow. How did she even get in here? I'm thinking, how did she even know where to go? to find Jesus? How did she know how to get in and out of his house? Unobstructed. She was a sinner. That's how they describe her. She was a sinner. We don't even know her name, really. Some writers think that maybe it was Mary Magdalene, maybe it was Mary from Bethany, the sister of Lazarus, maybe it was some, we don't know her name. But she was known in the town by those in positions of whatever. She was known as a sinner. Most likely a prostitute. Which again, makes me wonder, how did she know how to get around in this man's house? He wasn't, I don't think, innocent. But it's not said there either. I'm just, you know, drawing crazy ideas. But the passage says this, because Simon's thinking to himself, if Jesus was a real prophet, he'd know all about this woman. He wouldn't let her near him. Simon, she's in your house. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, because that was a, a normal greeting. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who's been forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Bold statement. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Very reminiscent of what we just read about the Samaritan that came to him and was healed. Your faith has made you well. Just go. Don't even worry about a Jewish priest. Your faith has made you well. God seems to be more concerned with the response of belief in him than he is in thanksgiving. He didn't require anybody to bring him offerings of thanksgiving. He didn't require anybody to send him cards of thanksgiving. He didn't require that, but he always would see the belief and respond to that. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has seen your sins forgiven. Go. Most of the time, a miracle of healing or deliverance, the person expresses belief. And that seems to finish the event. I think God is really more concerned with your belief than your thankfulness. But I think it's nice to be thankful to God and, and express that. The concept of thankfulness is not lost on our God. All the Old Testament rituals, like I said, and a lot of the New Testament things that we read are about remembering and thanking God. It's like this woman was expressing thankfulness to Jesus for what he might do even before he had done it. Weeping over him, humbling herself before him, anointing him. She was expressing her belief and her thankfulness even before he had done anything. But we're left with the same question that they were asking around the table, who is this guy who says, your sins are forgiven. When I started today, I, I said, I hope you had a nice time for Thanksgiving. And we talked about what Thanksgiving was and all that. And I hope you had a nice time. Time is the other thing that I want to really focus on today. Not just the gift of Thanksgiving, but the idea of time. Thanksgiving is an event. It may have lasted an hour or so, may have lasted a few days if you traveled. For me, it lasts as long as the leftovers hold out. Usually between a week, week and a half, I'm just still munching. Thanksgiving as a holiday is a duration of time. Our clocks mark the passing, the change of time. You can't see it, but there's a clock up there that's supposed to tell me when to start and when to stick when to not. I know that it's there. I even look at it occasionally and wonder, I need to hurry, but I don't. But time marks 
the passing of a duration from here to here. We cannot recover time that has passed, despite what all the sci-fi movies try to tell us. We cannot recover time once it's passed. The science of physics tells us that time is a property resulting from the existence of matter. Time exists when matter exists, you know, stuff. God is not matter. God, in fact, created matter, spoke everything that we see, all the stuff we see, the molecules that bounce against each other and hold together and and form the pew that you're sitting on, whatever. God created matter. He is not matter. Before He created matter, He just existed. He, the bottom line of this is time began when God created the universe. Okay? Does that make sense? We didn't really mark time until God created matter, the universe, and then time began. Even the language in the Old Testament talks about it was on the first day, he saw it was good. The second day, he saw it was good. Third day, he marked it in days. And after six days, he rested on the seventh day and all of this. The sun and the moon divide the day and the night, and one is called day and one is called night, and all of this. It marks the passing of time. It's all in the creation. Psalm 90, verses 4 and 12. For a thousand years in your sight, or like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Since there was no matter and God simply existed, there was no time and yet God existed. So therefore God exists outside of time. I'm trying to do simple logic in my head. I hope it doesn't mess with yours too much. But God is not resident within the constraints of time. He has no beginning. He has no end. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. We see these scriptures. Here's the great time passage from the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes. Every time I read through this, I'm I'm sorry, I'm a child of the 70s and I think about the song, but there's an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to shun embracing, a time to search and a time to give up as lost a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart and a time to sew together, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. This beautiful passage out of Ecclesiastes 3 says, there is a time for everything. Proverbs 27 says, do not boast for about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Sounds kind of like James chapter 4, 
verses 13 to 15. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go and do to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business, make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will and also do this or that. I'm one of those people who lives or dies by the calendar. I mean, if it's important enough to me, I put it on my calendar and I mark it. I know what time I'm supposed to be at places. I'm pretty good about being punctual. I'm pretty good at paying attention. Not always, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty good about marking time in my life. My wife has blessed me so much because she is a woman who is punctual and she is on time. She doesn't show up late. She doesn't lag behind. Time, the calendar, these things are important to me because I want to know not so much what my plans are, but I'm trying to figure out what God is planning for me. And when you call me and you say, Ken, can we get together? I'm not looking at it like you're giving me an invitation. I'm looking at it. I I promise you this, church family. I'm looking at this like God is giving me an invitation. Time is important because God created it for us to have. At one point in the ministry of Jesus, in the life of Jesus, there was a shift in his ministry, a shift in time. Jesus said in John chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now what he was talking about was the hour has come for the Son of Man to be lifted up on the cross, the Son of Man to be slain for our sins of which we should be slain for, to use the old-fashioned term. We should die for our own sins. Jesus came to die for our sins. But in time, he will rise again from the grave, and he did that so that we could be delivered and rise again from our sins into newness and life with him. There's a shift in time, and at this moment, Jesus takes a change in direction. The disciples began to hear him talk about this more and more. Later in the chapter, he'll say, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself, referring to the cross, being lifted up. It's in the act of salvation that God makes his best use of the gift of time. I want you to remember that. Time was created as a buffer between your sin and a holy God. God is holy and perfect, righteous and beautiful, and sin has no place in the presence of God. It cannot exist in the presence of God, kind of like tissue in the presence of fire. It just is going to be consumed. Time is this buffer between my sin and God's holiness. Otherwise, the moment I sinned, that should have been it for me. 
but God granted me some time. In Genesis, time is created by the same loving God who knew what was about to happen. He knew that the man and the woman would be disobedient. He had already created time before they ever fell. Because your God is a loving God and He's a knowing God. And He prepares for us long before we even have needs. But He knows what those needs are going to be. And He created time just for that. Time was defined in Genesis, so we know that it's there. The language refers to time. But without time, God's judgment on sin would be immediate, instantaneous. His holiness would make it so. So, I have a friend. I have a few. Some of them are even in this congregation. And one of my friends from this congregation and I were talking, and I had heard her say something, and so I called her and I said, let's talk about this some more, and she talked about it more with me. And the way she described it is, God put those sins in a box called time so that he could deal with them later again, time. And I thought, what an interesting concept. What what a nice way to think about that. God put my sin, your sin, in a box called time. I'll deal with that later, now that I've created later, so I don't have to deal with it immediately. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow about His promise. He promises to judge sin. He promises to come again. He promises us a lot of things. He's not slow about any of these promises. We're like, but wait, we've been waiting for Jesus to come back again for 2,000 years plus now. That seems slow to you and me, but not to God. Maybe a couple of hours. Maybe a couple of seconds. It's all the same to God. He's not slow, it says. Let me finish the verse. 2 Peter 3, 9. He's not slow about His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He is waiting not to punish you later. He's waiting for you to come to Him in repentance. And He's given you time. What a great gift. Be thankful. Did you around your Thanksgiving table this year? We always ask our grandsons and our son around our table, what are you thankful for this year? Did any of you say in your thankfulness, thank you, Lord, for time? It's not a concept that we normally think of. There is the concept that gratitude for God's deliverance in Christ characterizes the believer. If you are a follower of God, if you are really, truly pursuing God in faith, you know that whole, your faith has made you well, your faith has made you complete, your faith has made... If you are pursuing God in faith, your gratitude should define you. Your gratitude to God for what He's done should define you. That shouldn't be something that just, oh, yeah, I've got to do that. So I put on a calendar, here's a date, I can be thankful, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to remember under that date to be thankful to God for saving me. 
Your gratitude ought to be continuous because your salvation is continuous. And time has been given to you so that you can have that. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. Time is given to us so that all men could be saved. Will all men be saved? No, the Bible's very clear. Not everyone is going to use their time wisely. But God is waiting just in case you decide to use your time wisely. And even as a believer, to use your time wisely in gratitude to Him for who He is. That's what worship is all about. That's why we gather together. Oh, it's fun to get together, see our friends, love on each other, be glad to see each other. It's the only time I get to see some of you. But that's not what I'm here for. I'm glad you're here. But what I'm here for is to worship God in the presence and in the company of others. But that we should all worship God. He's given us this gift. About now you're checking your time. How long is he going to go? He said he was going to be short. We're getting there. There is a concept that if gratitude is to define or characterize us as a believer, so sometimes I leave you with questions, and I'll give you a couple in a minute, but let me leave you with some statements. I am thankful that God was patient with me, giving me time to find him. I don't say that because I'm the preacher and I'm supposed to say stuff. I am saying that because I am thankful that God gave this to me. I am thankful for that moment in time when God saved me from my sinfulness and redeemed me. One Christian speaker tells the story of his observation at an airport as he was traveling between places to speak. They were sitting around waiting for the next flight. And there was, he sees a young man kind of working his way through the waiting area, talking to people, this one, this one, this one. And there's an old man sitting over here on the bench, and he's just kind of like drifting off, nodding off, just waiting for the plane. And the young man comes over in all his exuberance and excitement, and he begins to talk to the old man, and he gets to the question, are you saved? The old man says, yes, I think so. Not to be convinced by that weak argument, the young man says, but is there a time that you can point to in your life when God miraculously saved you? And the old man stopped and he thought a minute and he said, yeah, I think it was about 2,000 years ago. For us, the salvation of God was made possible in our time about 2,000 years ago. It's made possible for us each and every day just when we hear the good news, the gospel. We talked about it last week. That is the mission of our church, is to take the gospel of Jesus into the world. I'm thankful for that moment in time when God saved me from my sinfulness and redeemed me. And the third statement is, I am thankful that God is still waiting to come again. 
Ken, don't you want him to come? But I know that he's coming, and with his coming, time will cease to be measured, and the eternal present tense of God will be mine. Hmm. I'm thankful that he's waiting, but when he comes, I'll be even more thankful. Because God, who is outside of time, who is always just present, he just exists. Moses is like, who do I tell him sent me? I am. Present, always. God never was, God never will be. God is always, I am. And I will be with him. I am when he comes again. I will be too. (laughs) Will you? Which is only the question, you know, the answer to that question is you can only be the answer in that. You only know. Will you be present tense with God in the presence of God or will you be present in the absence of God? And it's not from then on because there is no time. There's just existence. We're back on God's territory again once Christ comes again. And you're either with Him or you're without Him. That's the only two choices because He's going to exist. And in our way we were created, we're going to exist also outside of time in the spiritual realm We're either going to exist with Him or we're going to exist without Him. And what I want you to know today is that you can exist with Him. That's the gift that He's given us. The time to make this decision is now. Many of you have made this decision already. Some of you might want to clarify your decision. Well, I think I did, but I'm not sure, you know. I've gone to church for a long time. Doesn't that give me anything? No. You have the time. It's a gift from God to turn to Him and accept Him for who He is, your Savior. Would you do that this morning if you need to? Would you rededicate yourself to that idea that I need to live a life of gratitude and thankfulness to God? Would you own up that maybe you don't do that as well as you should, but you want to try harder, so you'll come down and stand in front of all these people, some that you know very well, some that you don't know very well, but you'll say, I want to, and I want you to know this about me. I want to do better. Pray for me. Talk to me. Encourage me. Don't wait for me to come to you, come to me. That's, that's what family does. You know those little kids that ran around your house this weekend? Maybe yours, maybe somebody else's. They did not hesitate to come barging into your room to ask for something. They did not hesitate to come in and go, is it time for lunch yet? Can we go outside and play? They didn't hesitate at all. They just came in. Don't wait for people to come in. Don't wait, but come on. As we pray and as we sing, come on. Yes, sir.
Do you love him? I do. With all your heart? With all my heart. Do you give him glory? I do. Thank you. I'll stand with you every day, just like he will. Would you affirm your commitment to Christ? Would you be a part of this church as we affirm him together? In all our frailty and all our craziness, we're going to stand together. Would you do that? Stand with us as we sing.